the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It's the Nick D Podcast. How you doing? My name is Nick DiGilio. I am your host. Welcome to the Nick D Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the best podcast network in the world. Check us out. So many great, informative, and entertaining, and varied, and, inf- and funny, and awesome podcasts that you can check out at radiomisfits.com. We also have a 24-hour streaming service. It's just like radio, only a lot cooler, and it's there 24-7. Check us out at radiomisfit.live. It is filled with great unsigned bands and great unheard music from the great podcast, The Unheard Music Show. And in between all that great music, you can hear episodes of the best podcasts ever, including my podcasts. I have two of them here at Radio Misfits. This one that you're listening to is the Nick D Podcast. You can hear it streaming daily at 3 p.m. Central. And my other podcast is called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years. It's the best SNL podcast in the world, quite frankly. And you can hear that daily at 9 a.m. Central. So streaming 24-7, my podcasts a couple of times a day, tons of other podcasts and great unheard music. It's awesome, and you need to check it out now. Radiomisfits.live. Get on that streaming service right now, radiomisfits.live. Hey, if you want to advertise with us at Radio Misfits, but more specifically, if you want to advertise on this podcast, which is what you should do, We've got advertisers who are very happy with what's going on, and now we want you to sponsor right here on the Nick D Podcast. Say, I want to sponsor on the Nick D Podcast. Contact us, sales at radiomisfits.com. Be an advertiser right here on the podcast. Lots of people listen to this podcast. Seriously, a lot of people do. So you will be heard. So advertise with the Nick D Podcast now, sales at radiomisfits.com. You want to be a part of the podcast in general? Just leave your comments. We want you to be a part of it. You know, it's very important that uh, the subscribers and the listeners give us their feedback or be a part of it or just leave a message or whatever. I listen to all of them. I play a lot of them back on the podcast. 24-7, we have a voicemail system that's open directly for you. Anytime you want to leave a podcast 24 hours a day or leave a message, sorry, not leave an entire podcast, leave a voicemail message right now, 773-417-6948. Again, 24-7, leave those voicemails. We want to hear from you, 773-417-6948 or... Email us anytime you want. Comments, questions, contri- contributions, anything you want to say. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. The great Jason Skaggs does all the music and the themes and the sounds and the weirdness. The great Ed Silla and everybody at Radio Misfits do all the best and the rest. And uh, awesome people. And please take the time to share, rate, review, like us, rate and review us on every platform. And, uh, and let it be known that the Nick D Podcast is awesome and you can be a part of it and you can advertise with us and all that cool stuff. And you can see us live that's right. you got to come out and pack this place. Um, we are going to be at Zanies in Rosemont. Me, 
My partner, Esmeralda Leon, will be on stage. We'll be recording a live podcast that you can not only be in the audience, but you can be a part of it. It's going to be interactive and funny and hilarious. We're going to give away prizes. There's going to be trivia. We've got dinners for the, great, the greatest restaurant on the planet, the Gale Street Inn. We've got huge gift cards for Apt Electronics to give away as part of the night. It's going to be a Halloween celebration because it takes place on Tuesday, October 24th. So we're going to talk scary movies and scary stuff and scary things. And we've got some Halloween candy and weird other shit that we're going to be handing out. It's going to be great. It's me doing what I do, hosting the whole thing. Esmeralda's my co-host. We're going to talk about really cool stuff with you. And my special guest that night is Andrea Darlis, the great Andrea Darlis, who I used to work with uh, back at the car wash, uh, WGN. You can currently hear her on WLS. She has a podcast called Show and Tell on WLS. She also appears on the Steve Cochran Show, which is the morning drive show on WLS. You can hear me on that show, too. I contribute every other Friday, review movies, and I'm part of the show. Well, Andrea is going to be live on stage. You can meet her. You can talk to her. You can greet her. And we're going to have so much fun with her on stage. And she's going to be funny and entertaining and fantastic. So interactive comedy that you can be a part of. You will be a part of the recording. You want to talk. You want to have fun. We're going to do that. we got Halloween candy we're going to be giving away and sharing. We're going to tell scary stories, Esmeralda, me, comedy, hilarious, Andrea Darlis live on stage in front of you, and you will be there. It's very easy to do that. And my dad is going to close the show by telling a joke. He closes uh, every, uh, every Tuesday. Uh, he tells a joke, and he will be here in just a little bit to tell the joke on our regular Tuesday show. And he's going to be there live on stage to close the show. If you've never seen my dad tell jokes at Zanies and Rosemont, you have not lived. So tell your friends, tell your uncles, tell your aunts, tell your brothers, tell your sisters, everybody you know. Jam the place. Get your tickets right now. They're on sale. And then you can get them at rosemont.zanies.com. We want to pack the place. It's going to be great. rosemont.zanies.com. Tuesday. October 24th at Zanies and Rosemont. Doors open at 6.30. The show is at 7.30. It's the Nick D Podcast Live. We want to thank everybody at Zanies and Chris and Alex and everybody there. Um, it's such a great room and such a great time. Every time we've done a show there, it's been great. And we want to pack the place and have a great time with you guys there. And uh, it'll be it's a one-night-only thing. One night only, we're recording the podcast. You need to be in that audience and have a great time. So, so show support for the Nick D Podcast. Give some love. And when you get there, it's going to be a great, great time. So get your tickets right now for the Nick D Podcast Live. Zanies in Rosemont on Tuesday, October 24th at 730. 847-813-0484. You can order your tickets on, over the phone. You can ask some questions if you got questions or anything like that. That's the box office. Or go to rosemont.zanies.com. Look for the Nick D Podcast on Tuesday, October 24th. Order your tickets now. Let's pack the place. Awesome. Coming up on this show, it's For the People. It is the first Tuesday of the month, and every first Tuesday of the month, it's a For the People show, which means Herb Weissbaum is going to be joining us. He is our consumer man who will help you with all your consumer concerns and your money issues. And then Tom Appel will join me. He's our car guy from Consumer Guide Automotive, uh, one of the most popular uh, uh, segments, or one of the most popular ep episodes that we do every month is the For the People episode, and it's for you. So Herb, the consumer man, Tom, the car guy, will be there. My dad's going to stop by and tell a joke, and that's all coming up right here on this episode of the Nick D Podcast. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, Hi, baby. I'm Carrie Russell, yeah. and I love Nick's show. She's terribly sad because she will not be able to make it on Tuesday, October 24th at Zanies and Rosemont to see the Nick D Podcast live. But you can make it. I know you can, and you can take a bunch of people with you. All right, it's going to be fun. All right, for the people, let's get it officially started. And you know what else is for the people? And this is great for the people. This is. Hey there. Are you tired of that same old, the same old stories? Well, buckle up because Brian Alaspa's devoured. Yeah, that's right. Brian Alaspa's devoured 
is about to take you on a wild ride. St. Louis is teetering on the edge with riots, unrest, and the mayor's downright stubborn insistence that the 4th of July must go on. But don't tell that to public safety manager Logan Field. He's got problems bigger than the most overcooked barbecue. With a deadly attack, a missing boy, and mysterious events that make your Aunt Sally's ghost stories look like a fairy tale, something sinister is brewing in the city. Logan's at his wit's end. The only help he can find is a struggling hunter and a professor who's a whiz with ancient evils. It sounds like the start of a bad joke, right? But there's nothing funny about what's awakening in St. Louis. So join the race against time as this unlikely trio faces down an evil as old as time itself. Think your commute's tough? Try saving a city from being, you guessed it, devoured. Brian Alaspa's Devoured will have you laughing and gasping and frantically flipping pages. So grab some popcorn, turn down those lights, and dive into a world where saving the city just might be the craziest 4th of July ever, and trust us, it's more exciting than a sparkler, and the only thing that might get burned is the midnight oil as you read till dawn. Brian Alaspa's Devoured. Thrilling, chilling, and the perfect way to spice up your summer. It's available now in paperback for Kindle exclusively through Amazon.com. Brian Alaspa's Devoured. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jackal. The Consumer Man. Yes, he is your hero when it comes to consuming. The Consumer Man. Oh, yes. Herb is your man. That's right. Herb is our man. He's our Consumer Man. And uh, as we uh, begin our uh, For the People uh, episode for October, we talk to Herb Weisbaum, who is the Consumer Man who writes for uh, checkbook.org and has the consumer man. You can follow him at consumer man all over the place. He's here to help you out with uh, any questions and needs and problems with your money and keeping you safe and all that great stuff. And we welcome back again, Herb Weisbaum. Hello, Herb. Hi, Nick. That would be a good URL. Consumer man all over the place. Oh, consumer man all <laughs> over the place. Yeah. Consumerman.com is a URL. And of course I'm on social media as well. So there you go. And you are the consumer man. All right. And you help people out. Uh, and uh, we were just discussing a little bit before we started recording. You've been watching a lot of movies lately. I did end up watching that Adam Sandler uh, bar mitzvah movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I did not like. But I will tell you this. Uh, my favorite part of the movie was your least favorite part of the movie. <laughs> My favorite part of the movie was Sarah, was Sarah Sherman as the rabbi. She was my, oh. favorite, she was my favorite part of the movie. Because um, I love her on Saturday Night Live. She's one of my yes. favorite cast members on SNL. So she may be. But um, yeah, no, the movie's not very good. Um, I thought his daughters were kind of charming because they're young mm-hmm. and they're really his daughters. But overall, it's nothing new and um, it wasn't very good. So. Well, we had quite the family quotes, air quotes, discussion when we discussed my review because I sent uh, that to them, the clip of your podcast, and we yeah. had a 
family discussion last week all about that. What do you mean, Uncle Herbie? It was great. What's the matter with you? Oh, I see. You live on the East Coast. I live in Seattle. So yeah. that yeah, that could explain yeah. a lot. But anyway. Yeah, there's an age difference, too. Like older people. Sure. Like I was like, I, like about a half an hour and I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be long. This is right. just going to be this is going to continue. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there is that. Um, and uh, you were telling me that you did watch the uh, the Sean Penn um, uh, documentary, the Ukraine uh, about Ukraine. Yes, it just um, dropped. And man, oh, man, was that powerful. I had no idea what to expect. But he really gets in there where normal reporters don't always get. He has the access because he's around. He's also Sean Penn. But he actually just this was a right place, right time. Spoke to Zelensky uh, the day before the war started. And then the day the war started, he was he just hung around. And for a short period of time, the president of Ukraine came in and talked to him in the bunker. I mean, his his bunker where he was, yeah. where, you know, in real time, he goes into the bombed out places where people are. I mean, this building was clearly condemned and nobody should have been in there. And he was in there with a the person showing him. She was showing him where her house, you know, her living room used to be in this apartment place. And you could see the place was really rickety and they had to get out of there. He was on the front lines, 150 feet away from the Russian troops. You know, a sniper doesn't know he's Sean Penn. It could take him out as easily as yeah. anybody else. Yeah. It was really powerful, very well done. Um, Susan Zarinsky, one of the people, a uh, performer, uh, very, very uh, prominent producers at CBS News is one of the producers of this thing. And they had footage and all the coverage I've seen. And I watched a lot of news in my life about the war i'm a big news junkie they had scenes and stuff i'd never seen before some really really and behind the scenes with Zelensky's um uh, aides and deputies that just i had never seen before so uh he's clearly got a point of view you know he's he's yeah. not a true journalist but i don't know there's a two sides of this thing i mean russia invaded a country for no real reason and, and he's reporting that but he makes it really clear that you know the russians are the aggressors and uh, that uh, he, you know, the, the poor Ukrainians are fighting for their lives. But uh, it's it's very, very well done. He's well, right you know, there to escape the city when the lights go out and the first bombs are falling. And, you know, nobody really expected it. And it's like, holy geez, here's he's running through this darkened out blackened city trying to find his hotel and get the hell out of there kind of thing. Well, you know, you know, uh, Sean Penn's a very divisive guy in terms mm -hmm. of like uh, his politics and in terms of like, you know, like uh, his acting and all that stuff and him as a persona. I've always been a fan of Sean Penn, not just as an actor, but as a but as a human. Mm -hmm. um, and say what you will about the guy. If you don't agree with him politically, whatever. He puts his money where his mouth is, man. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, he he's, he does that all the time. He's always been on the front line, sometimes in some cases inappropriately, possibly. Um, and some people are like, well, what's his what's his point? Why does he do this? What kind of attention is he trying to grab? I think for the most part, maybe here and there over the years, he might have been misguided in some of the things he's done. But his intention is always good. Like he wants to do it. He wants to shine a light. He wants to help. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's he's one of these guys who's helped out when there's when there's any kind of like national uh, uh, disaster or international disaster. That guy, you know, he puts his money where his mouth is. I've always been a fan of his, but I can understand he's very divisive. And I'm sure that there are many people who are listening to this or are yelling at their device right now, yelling, I can't stand Sean Penn. <laughs> and I understand that. I totally understand right. that. But he's one of those guys here, love him or hate him. He puts his money where his mouth is. He really does. Yeah. And he goes out there and he does stuff that a lot of other people don't in his position. And I admire him for that. And uh, I've yeah. not seen this documentary, but I am looking forward to it. Yeah, I don't have an opinion on Sean Penn one way or the other, but yeah. I can tell you this documentary made you feel what it was like to be living there under these circumstances. It's mm. really very visceral level of uh, journalism. And uh, I just think it's very good for what they did. I, cool. I give him kudos for that. I will definitely check it out. And and, and since the last time we spoke, uh, Herb Weissbaum, the movie critic, as we've been discussing, <laughs> um, I did watch the, you are, what is it? What the hell is it called? You are so not invited to my bar mitzvah. Was that what it is? We just talked about that. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Uh, 
the yeah. Adam Sandler and his daughters. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I was not a fan either. Uh, but unfortunately, or oddly, the thing that you disliked the most was the thing that I liked the most. And that was Sarah Sherman as the, as the crazy rabbi teacher. Yeah. Um, she was my favorite thing in the movie. Well, you uh, know her personally, but, and she was funny. I'm, I'm yeah. saying she's funny, but I just sort of said, you know, in my entire life, she was a satire. I get it. So yeah. it's, no, she was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I was not a fan of the Adam Sandler bar mitzvah movie. Um, his, his daughters are charming and sweet, but I just thought the movie was bad. Yeah. So as we continue, Herb Weissbaum film critic is now, uh, what's going to, what's going to be next. I think. <laughs> Uh, I still I'm going to watch something every month before I talk to you now. So. I, I still like the I still like the fact that like just recently, uh, Barbie was once again re released in IMAX. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this is now the biggest movie in the history of Warner Brothers. It's made like a ton of money, and I still uh, every time I think of it now, and I've seen the movie multiple times. Maybe my favorite film of the year. In fact, I mm-hmm. absolutely loved it. I mean, I love the Barbie movie. But every time now I think of the Barbie movie, I think of you destroying Ken at a function uh, where you... <laughs> trying to destroy Ken. Yeah, you I, tried to destroy yeah. Ken at a function, which is a story that you told uh, a couple of episodes yeah. back, a couple of yeah. uh, meetings back about how you almost murdered Ken. Yeah, porcelain a... Ken. I uh, accidentally <laughs> had him fly through the air at the toy fair and land on a marble floor, and he didn't break. Thank God. That's amazing that he did not break. You almost murdered Ken. All right, well, anyway, <laughs> now let's get... First of all, tell everybody about checkbook.org and how you have been helping people watch their money and be safe and, and be an alert for scams and all that cool stuff for a very long time. Let's get the background on all that stuff. Sure. Checkbook.org is a nonprofit that rates services in seven cities throughout the country. Consumer Reports rates materials, that sort of thing. We rate the product. So they rate Windows, which we'll talk about later. We tell you how to get Windows installed, how to find good Windows, how to get the good installers. Nonprofit no advertisers, nothing is written that is any way, shape, or form advertised, influenced. I write a column for them a week about general consumer information and also do a bi-weekly podcast called Consumerpedia, which you can find posted on my website, consumerman.com or consumerpedia.org. And uh, it's just a really great organization that tries to help people as part of their uh, the reason for being around. And uh, and uh, we'll uh, talk a little bit uh, later about uh, how people can actually, Mike, like my listeners, uh, you're always yep. very kind to my listeners. Uh, and, Free uh, three-day trial. Yeah, we'll check that out in a little bit. So checkbook.org, and, uh, and you're all over the place on the uh, on the internets uh, and all that cool stuff. So let's get to some of the stories that we wanted to cover. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I wasn't aware that um, how, how, big it, how big a deal it is that stolen and counterfeit merchandise – uh, gets sold online. Um, is it a, I mean, this is a big problem. Huge problem, huge yeah. multi-billion dollar problem. No one has a true estimate, but the one I could find was based on the Prosecutors Alliance of California. That's the prosecutors there who are talking to the uh, legislature about a bill. And they estimate that more than $500 billion in stolen and counterfeit <sighs> products are sold online worldwide each year. Oh, $500 billion. That's not Man. how much is stolen. That's how much is stolen that's online. A, that's incredible. Some wow. of them are, yeah. Some stuff is sold, you know, in in uh, on street corners, and some is sold to friends. But but this is the stuff sold online. And as you know from the the headline news, with these smash and grabs and all these big gangs of thieves, you know, they go into Nordstrom and steal, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollar purses or whatever uh, pocketbooks they got to sell them someplace you just can't sell all those on the street anymore and so they're selling these things online they're using uh these uh, online marketplaces 
uh, such as, uh, you know, Amazon and eBay and a lot of lesser known sites. And they're selling their goods online. And that's the way they turn their stolen goods into, into money that can be used for crime or drugs or gangs or in some cases, international terrorism or whatever. And uh, there's an attempt now to try to put a lid on this thing because up until now, it's been the absolute wild, wild west. Everyone knows it's going on. The websites have been alerted to it. They say they're trying to do something about it. But uh, the decision uh, from members of Congress was it was time to crack down even more and make the websites responsible for enforcing this thing. And it was an act called the Inform Consumers Act, which has a big, long name because they have to spell out the, the word. So it's Integrity, Notification and Fairness in Online Retail Marketplaces. But we'll call it the Inform Consumers Act it was bipartisan. Both parties want to do something about this. And it took effect this summer. And we just wrote about it because the, all the rules were set up uh, last month to deal with this. And so, so do feel people feel positive about this? And what does this what does this thing consist of? This act consist of what 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 has to be done? Yeah, there is a positive feeling that for the first time. This may cut it down some. It's not going to get rid of all of it. But what the goal is is to give more transparency to online transactions for you, the consumer, and to deter criminals from acquiring the stolen, counterfeit, or unsafe items and then selling them through these online marketplaces. So here's what the law requires, and it's okay. now in effect. Under the new law, all online marketplaces are required to collect and verify very specific personal and financial information from most high-volume third-party sellers that sell new consumer products on their websites. Obviously, this doesn't deal with people who sell used goods. This is all new stuff. A company is considered high-volume if it has 200, 200 or more separate purchases, totaling $5,000 or more during any 12-month period. So it's it's not a high bar to reach. If you're doing a lot of stuff, you're a high-volume seller. Right. they got to provide uh, the selling website with a government-issued ID, its bank account number, its tax identification number or social security number, if it's an individual, and a working email address and phone number. And if it's a high volume seller that does an annual gross revenue of $20,000 or more on that particular online marketplace, they must also, the marketplace must provide you, the buyer, with all the information about the seller their name, their physical address, contact information, uh, where you can reach them by telephone or working email or other electronic communications. But here's the critical part. The online marketplace must verify that information by the third party is accurate and up to date, and it must certify its accuracy at least once a year. If that information is not provided in a timely manner, and it's 10 days after the seller is notified that they're not in compliance, the online marketplace is required by law to suspend any future sales activities until that seller complies with the law. And here's the big, the big stick here, Nick. Online marketplaces that don't comply with the Informed Consumers Act face fines of $50,000 per violation. Whoa. And the statute also gives state authorities, such as attorneys general in different jurisdictions, the ability to go after these guys, as well as the Federal Trade Commission, which is set up to enforce this. So uh, my friend Teresa Murray at the U.S. Perg Education Fund, which is a big nonprofit, said this is an absolute game changer and uh, this is going to change the marketplace. Fifty th These websites are $50,000 per violation and the way they work with the charging the violation would be 12 pairs of Nike sneakers and they were all stolen. That's 12 violations. Wow. So we and that's have 50 grand, 50 grand each, 50 grand each. Yep. I mean, 50, $50,120, you know, yeah. but I rounded it off to 50,000. That's yeah. significant to put a real monetary penalty behind the websites that don't do what the law requires, which is checking these people out and making sure they're legit.
So and, uh, is this going to, have there been complaints uh, on the part of the websites? They're like, man, this is really going to, we're going to need more people to work this. We're going to have to pay more people to, you know, to, 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 to make sure that, you know, to make sure that the, the sellers are, are legit. Is, is, has there been any complaints about how financially it's going to affect these, these websites and these companies? I haven't seen anything about that at this point in time, but basically whether they complain or not, they got to do it. And, yeah. and, you know, they can use algorithms or various ways to do it. They got a lot of tricks up their sleeve, but it's a, it's just a situation where they're going to have to do it, whether they like it or not. The other thing is, as I said earlier, it's not going to stop all uh, fraud online, all the sales of fraudulent materials that right. counterfeit or the, uh, or the stolen goods. So you got to remember if it's stolen, what you're doing is, you know, the goal of a consumer is to get a good price. Well, look, I got a really good price. Well, if they're stealing the stuff, it's hurting everybody. It's hurting the retailer, it's hurting the manufacturer. It's hurt, and then we all pay for that in the form of higher prices. So everybody's getting hurt if you're buying stolen merchandise. If you're buying counterfeit merchandise, it's usually inferior quality. It may not meet U.S. safety standards. So you could be buying something that's very dangerous. It may not be, if it's a fabric, it may not be flame retardant. If it's something with a lithium ion battery, that's a lot of times why these batteries explode. They're, they're counterfeit batteries. They're not made properly. A lot of danger is associated with buying counterfeit merchandise. So both of them, there's a problem for possibly you and possibly for society. But as I mentioned, you know, you can look for some red flags too. Uh, too. You know, if somebody's truly cleaning out their closet and trying to get rid of a bunch of stuff and there's, you know, some brand new toys that they had and maybe a pair of sneakers or something like that that they're trying to get rid of, you know, that would make sense. There'd be a mix of merchandise. But if you see somebody online who's got, you know, two dozen Nike shoes for sale, all in boxes, tags, never opened, et cetera, that doesn't yeah. pass the smell test. It's like, yeah. what's going on, you know, kind of thing. So that's what this is going to go after. It's going to possibly stop that kind of thing from happening. I think it's really good. And uh, there's also, as part of this act, it requires that the marketplaces give people a way to report possibly illegal contacts. So they've got to have something on their site, on the page where you can buy whatever that allows you to report this to the Federal Trade Commission that I think something is wrong here so they can actually make it easier for them to to uh, enforce this thing. So that's you can always file a complaint if you think there's a problem with the Federal Trade Commission, FTC.gov, but this was part of the regulation as well. We want to know from people if there's a problem so we can target the bad guys and go after this. So they know a lot of people are looking at them. The state AGs are looking at them. The feds are looking at them. The consumers are looking at them, have a way to file a complaint. I think we're going to see maybe a little bit of improvement in the marketplace with this thing once it fully gets up to speed and it's just really starting right now maybe as we head into the holidays it'll cut down on some and then of course you know if that's the situation the incentive for these smash and grabs there's going to be less of it i mean criminals are always going to find ways to fence things but it's sure. going to be a lot harder for them to do that than it is right now and maybe that'll just stop it somehow i don't know I, I'm, I'm wishful thinking but that sure would be nice well it's a big deal that sounds like a really big story um yeah yeah um and and has it it's it's already gone into effect the new law is already out there and it's it's already yeah. took effect in uh in july and uh and the federal trade commission just wrote up all the regulations you know all the rules and to tell uh, the websites what to do uh later this or the, the summer what we're now in october so they did it a month or so ago and now all the websites know what they've got to do and you know they've they may warn them once or twice but then the crackdown will take place so they know the feds are watching them Okay. If you want to read the whole story, of course, all the stuff that we're talking about, you can check out at checkbook.org, checkbook.org, uh, for all the information about that story. Big story. That's a big story. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll curb some of the, some of the scams out there, man. So that'd be uh, nice yeah. sure, for everybody. I, yeah. I, I remember when I was, uh, when I was younger, um, um, my folks and I would sometimes go to flea markets mm -hmm. and you would find, 
<laughs> you'd go to flea markets and you would find stuff like, you know, like stuff like Nike with a different kind of swoosh or mm-hmm. the, uh, or, you know, the, like, uh, you know, like a, uh, uh, you know, like a, a, a nice uh, watch, you know, uh, with with a different spelling, you know, right. uh, for the, you know, like, you know, it's a, it's a counterfeit watch or if yeah. it's a scam or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> I just love like the, 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 the knockoffs uh, of, of certain items. Those are some of my favorite, like there's, there are whole websites that are dedicated to the dumbest, most blatant knockoffs of, of merchandise of all time. And they crack me up. Like some oh, of yeah. them are just so blatantly hilarious, you know? Yeah. Well, during my past career when I was CBS News, I actually yeah. spent time uh, with the customs people. They were checking the boxes coming in at one of the, I can't remember what port I was at. I think it was Los Angeles. Yeah. And you know, some of the stuff is hard to tell. I mean, they were, they were bringing like, uh, you know, game machines that sort of really looked like the Nintendo game machines or whatever. But they found a box and it was the Michael Jackson wristwatch. And it was pretty obvious that it was a knockoff because somehow they screwed up overseas and on this watch, Michael Jackson was white. So it was pretty obvious <laughs> <laughs> that this was a cheap knockoff. Yeah. So, but sometimes yeah. you can tell and sometimes you can't. Again, if it's a counterfeit and it could look every bit as good, but it doesn't meet the safety standards, it may have faulty wiring. Right, right, you know, at right. that point, when I did that story, I remember I was doing um, circuit breakers, you know, that you have in your house on the circuit panels. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. Were, catching the, they were catching the the counterfeit circuit breakers, they did not go off when they should protect your house from a surge, mm. your house from burning down. I mean, they looked for all the world as real. They could copycat the design, but it didn't have all the internal workings that made it the safety feature that you were buying it for. Right. Very, very, very scary stuff yeah. when you're dealing with counterfeits. Yeah, well, that goes from amusing to just downright dangerous. Like, it's amusing right. when Michael Jackson is white on a watch. That's amusing. Right. But when a circuit yeah. breaker burns your house down, that's not funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, right. no, I, I've always found the knock. I like, I, I love the, uh, the knockoff toys and these aren't really, these aren't really like ripoffs. They're just like, you know, obviously, uh, these are knockoff toys that you can't afford the real stuff. So you're going to get the cheap stuff. Like my favorite one, you know, the movie RoboCop Herb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there are, there are action figures for RoboCop, but I liked sort of the, the knockoff from different countries, the knockoff, the cheap knockoff. Mm-hmm. My favorite one is Robert cop. Like it looks like. <laughs> it looks like it's it looks like a robot it looks like a robocop but it's called robert cop that's my that's my favorite knockoff toy of all time well in my collection i used to go to i covered toy fair for both yeah sure uh, cbs and nbc for 20 something years and yeah. uh when i first started so this was probably in the mid 90s uh mattel was going to come out with this little uh doll called a Monchichi, and it was sort of like this monkey it was almost like something from a nintendo character later on a little monkey kind of thing you know george of the jungle kind of um, cute little critter yeah and it actually turned out that uh the knockoff people overseas knocked off the Monchichi before the Monchichi even made it on the market and mattel never launched the product which oh is that right they, they didn't even get to launch their product because it was already knocked off <laughs> oh, before they got no. it on the market that's crazy. So I have two Monchichis in my toy collection that are really rare because they never. I bet. Toy because wow. of the benefits. So yeah. Wow. All right. All right. Don't sell them online. Uh, Herb. No. That, no. 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 Yeah, this might get you in trouble. All right. Uh, okay. Well, let's move on to um, another uh, story that you've been covering at Checkbook. Uh, health tracking apps, um, and they might be invading your privacy. What exactly are for the people who like me? What exactly is a health trapping app? Is that like when you wear your watch and it tells you the number of steps and your heartbeat and your blood pressure and all that stuff? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, this story deals with both the apps and the digital technologies. So for the 
wearable devices, we're talking about a smartwatch that maybe takes your pulse, uh, that takes various things, uh, your heart rate, your blood pressure. There are now monitors you can wear for your glucose. Uh, there are ones that uh, tell your menstrual cycle, all these uh, new wearable digital technology. And then you can go online and you can research various conditions that you may have or look at drugs while you're online. And then there are also apps that you can do, health apps or mental health apps or various apps that you can do if you have conditions or problems. So all of these things uh, are now collecting enormous amounts of very, very personal data on us. And unfortunately, most of the ones we're going to talk about here do not fall under the HIPAA regulations, Health Insurance Portability Accountability Act, HIPAA, which a lot of people know about that protects your medical history, your medical records, if you're in the medical system. You know, doctors say, well, I can't, you know, I called the, the other day for, to get some information for one of my family members, can't tell you HIPAA regulations, I got to talk to the person. Well, I think we've all experienced that kind of thing. But most of the stuff we're now doing on our own does not fall under these HIPAA regulations. Mm -hmm. So all these companies can and are collecting all this data on us, and then they're either using it for their own purposes, selling it to big data, which can add it to our profile, or selling it to marketers, you know, maybe Google or Facebook and that kind of thing to send us targeted marketing, you know, because they know that we're depressed or that we have high blood pressure or that we just had a heart attack or that our period is coming up or whatever, or that we just got pregnant. Uh, they know all this stuff now because it's not protected by HIPAA. And the whole point of this article, this was a really deep dive that I took. And we also did a podcast, Consumerpedia, on it because it's so pervasive now, and I don't think people realize it. I got on this, and I talked to you about this a couple of episodes ago, about a company called GoodRx, which Checkbook and Consumer Reports and all the other groups had recommended, and it was uh, it's a website that lets you get discount prices for your drugs, a lot cheaper than in many cases even paying the deductible on your insurance, and I've used it many times. <clears throat> well, the Federal Trade Commission sued them, uh, because they found out that, number one, they said they wouldn't sell or share your information to anybody, and they were, and that they also were doing this without people's knowledge. So uh, they, they basically didn't say they, they said they didn't do anything wrong, uh, but they agreed to pay a fine, and they said they would change all their business practices. And I said, this can't be the only company. And then I started to look around, and it's like all these things are doing the same kind of thing. And it's really, really scary when you think what's going on and how all this stuff, you know, if they know where you live and they know what your med medical condition is, you know, they can use on these social media platforms targeted advertising and just do to, you know, a couple of hundred people in that zip code and odds are they're going to reach you. And all of a sudden you start getting an ad because you're depressed, you know, or stuff, uh, you know, coupons for uh, for baby diapers because you're pregnant. How do they know this? You know, mm. because big data is collecting all this stuff on us, figuring it out and then sending the marketing back to us. I, I, I find it really creepy. And I've said this to you before. We need to come up with some serious privacy laws in this country. Congress just won't deal with it. A federal privacy law the way they have in Europe that basically says my data is my data. If you want to collect it, you've got to ask me. If I tell you I don't want to hold it anymore, you get rid of it. You don't hold it for more than you need it. If I want you to get rid of it, you get rid of it period, end of story. And if I don't want to collect in the first place, you don't collect it in the first place. We are so in the wild west with this kind of thing. It, it's really pathetic when you think about it. Well, it is, it's, it's crazy and just in terms of not just with items and, or like with personal things, but like then you get on an algorithm, like your algorithm completely changed and suddenly mm -hmm. you're getting ads for stuff 
Like mm-hmm. even if you didn't want to buy something, but you were curious about it, suddenly you're getting ads for, you know, Viagra or stuff mm-hmm. like that. And you're like, wait a minute, what, what? And tons of them. Like anytime mm-hmm. you do something online or do something on social media that, um, that spikes your algorithm, man, the ads come flying. It's unbelievable mm-hmm. how it happens really yeah. quickly. And the companies will say, well, read our privacy policy. You know, we have all this information on our privacy policy. Have you ever read a privacy policy for any of these? <laughs> if you want to go to sleep, Nick, let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of words. These are all written by lawyers. So they're written for the benefit of the company, not for the benefit of you. And they use a whole lot of weasel words. You know, we could do this or we may do that. They don't promise in many cases or most cases not to do it. They say we may not or we don't plan to at this point in time. You know, your data is an asset to them and they're going to do whatever they can to market it and make money off of it. And even when they say, and I found this out from the folks at Mozilla Foundation, they're the people behind the Firefox browser. It's a it's a foundation. Yeah, of course. And they're yeah. very big into privacy, very, very big in privacy. Even if you say, well, we're going to de-identify the information because so that, that we take your name out of it. Uh, quite frankly, and with today's uh, computer technology, if they have just a couple of data points on you, they can figure out who the, these people really are, even though they've de-identified it. So while that's nice and it's better than being identified, uh, the fact that the, the company says we're going to de-identify the information is not really a guarantee that they, they won't find out about you. Mozilla, by the way, did something, and this I find really creepy. So they've been monitoring the privacy and security features for very popular apps, and they just decided to do a deep dive for uh, back in May on mental health apps. And they looked at the, the privacy policies and they actually read all these things and found out what they did. And they found that 20 of 32 apps that they tested, I'll do the math for you, that's 62.5%, so an incredible number, failed to meet their minimum standards for privacy. And even more troubling, 40% of the apps had changed their privacy policy since the last survey a year or two earlier wow. to make them less protective than they were the year before. So they're, they're tracking, they're sharing the most intimate information and leaving these people incredibly vulnerable. And in the article that we have on our website uh, on uh, checkbook.org, we listed some of the examples they found of some of these mental health apps that they found to be the worst, uh, BetterHelp, Happify, and Talkspace. They actually pushed the consumer to taking questionnaires up front without asking for any kind of consent, without asking any kind of showing any kind of privacy policy, you start by filling out this questionnaire, asking these very intimate questions. And for some of these apps, you know, the the question could be about your sexual orientation or your mental health status at the moment in time. Are you depressed? Are you suicidal? I yeah. mean, that, that's really creepy, and it could be very, very harmful to someone in a very tenuous mental situation. They're collecting these stuff, and then, like you said, all of a sudden you get an ad for something that like can set you off. This is really troubling when I, when I wrote this report. It is the, it's deeply troubling because like these things are inc- – I don't, I don't have uh, any of this stuff. Like I do mm-hmm. not have a watch that uh, checks my, you know, my pulse or any of that stuff or how many steps. I don't have any of that because I find the whole thing kind of creepy, quite frankly. And, yes. and and I and I stay away from that. And and but that's deeply personal stuff, like physical, mental stuff that they have access to that I just don't want to put out there, man. No. And and no. and and now the FTC, what what else can they do about this? They have they 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 have sued a few yeah, companies they, they already. Or? A couple of company, yeah, they've sued a couple of companies to try to make the point that you know you've got to live up to your promises. You know they can't 
they can't uh, make a company that doesn't fall under HIPAA fall under HIPAA. So that's well, you're on your yeah, own. Yeah, yeah, going, yeah. going after the companies that are lying, you know, some of them are where, uh, putting these HIPAA compliant or actual HIPAA seals on their web, you know, on their website down at the foot or whatever. When they have no relation, they're not covered by HIPAA. They don't follow HIPAA regulations. So that's uh, they're going after that kind of stuff. Or they say we'll never share information, then share it. So the FTC can go after those kind of cases. But this is where right now it's the customer beware until Congress gets off its butt and does something and passes some of these privacy regulations. Yeah. A uh, couple of couple of tips we had is, right. first of all, I don't think anybody I'm not going to read. I'm the consumer man and I'm not going to read one of these gigantic privacy policies. So, number one, assume that they're taking your information. So think about that before you give it to them. But if you go to the privacy policy and it has a section for California residents, California has one of the toughest privacy regulations of any state in the country. You can it's pretty well summarized in English in the California section. If you see that there, that'll tell you what's really going on. So that's one tip. Don't mm. fa don't fall for seals or logos. Don't believe in promises. Uh, they may not live up to the promises. And uh, by all means, as we talked in the previous story, if you find a violation or find something wrong, file a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission. They will go after these people if they find a pattern of abuse. And my friend Pam Dixon, who's with the World Privacy Forum, one of the top privacy people in the world, said the only way if you're doing one of these other things that is not from your doctor or your health insurance company uh, uh, or you know, medical provider that you know is covered by HIPAA and you're not sure, write the company an email and say, do, do you follow HIPAA rules? Are you, you know, are you governed by HIPAA rules? And she said, if they don't write you back or you don't get a yes, you know that they have the, the freedom to do anything they want with your information. And before I leave this topic, one more thing that I think is going to really blow your mind. The, the, the folks at Mozilla looked at one of these uh, health mental health apps, and it's called Replica, R-E-P-L-I-K-A, and they said it was one of the worst they ever reviewed. It shares not only the personal data uploaded by the user, but they'll share if you upload photos, videos, voice messages, and text messages with advertisers. To me, that is above and beyond, and shame on you, shame on you is all I can say. Wow. Scary stuff, man. Just really uh, kind of scary stuff. So uh, yeah. all that information in, in that article, uh, uh, really uh, a, a great article with a lot of details. You can, ch again, check out at checkbook.org, but be careful, and, man. Yeah, and the podcast is embedded in the story, or if you want to, you just go to consumerpedia.org and listen to it. But I was talking to somebody the other day, uh, one of the producers at a radio station where I'm on the air uh, all the time, and he said, oh, my God, I use one of those mental health apps. And I took the quiz, and I gave him all this information. He said, oh, yeah. yep. It happens. It's not something that may happen. It happens. It happens yep. all the time. Be careful with that stuff. That's when I, I, sometimes I'm like, yeah, see that I was right to not do any of that. <laughs> yeah. Be suspicious. If there's anything you've learned from our conversations over the last couple yeah. of years, be suspicious yeah. and assume the worst. Yeah. Always. No. Yeah. Um, now well, let's move on to something uh, not quite as terrifying, but windows and windows yes. can be terrifying, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you got new windows and uh, uh, talking about <clears throat> what's the best way to to find them. You, and you guys have a, a podcast that's uh, is it up yet or or yeah, podcast just dropped the other day and okay. there's a big article on it as well that has much more detail. And yes, would you like to go window shopping with her? I would. Yeah. Now, what are you supposed to do? What do you look for when you're buying new windows? I know that's a basic question, but you know, a lot of people who have homes, a lot of people who have condos and places like that. Every once in a while, you got to replace your windows. What do you look for? Absolutely. Well, what we try to talk about is that windows, you know, there are clearly reasons to replace the windows in your home. They, you know, they make the place look nicer. They can let more light in. If the windows are falling apart, you have to do it. It's a very expensive purchase. 
basic vinyl replacement windows are $750 or more per opening on average. Wood windows, you could pay a couple of thousand dollars per opening. And a lot of the complaints that Checkbook gets deal with two things, really bad installation work and inferior quality installation work, and also overblown claims about energy savings. So there's a lot of hype going on with this. So what we try to talk about in the article and the podcast is things to keep in mind. First of all, the prices really do vary from company to company. We do our undercover shopping, found huge differences between companies for the same work for the same windows. Um, our undercover shoppers collected price quotes for a, a window replacement project, uh, same same specs for uh, various companies, and the prices range from $6,400 to $15,700. That is a huge difference yeah. for the exact same job. So that's number one. Number two is these claims about energy savings. Yes, putting new windows in, especially if you have drafty windows, they're gonna make you feel more comfortable and they're gonna cut your energy usage. But mm -hmm. the people who say, Play, replace the windows and you'll pay for this project, you know, this multi, multi thousand dollar project, you know, just a year or two or three, they've got nothing to back that up. They've got nothing to base that claim on. And it's probably nonsense. You are not replacing your windows. To, you're going to lower your energy bills. They're not going to pay for themselves in a very quick time period. They'll probably increase the value of your house if you resell it or your condo. Uh, they're probably going to make you feel more comfortable. Maybe they'll let more light in. But this overselling of, you know, they're going to repay for themselves in just a couple of years. That's absolute nonsense. So that's the other thing we tried to talk about. And then there's the materials. You know, there's the, the, the vinyl, there's the wood, there's the composite. Uh, a lot of people think vinyl is, is a cheap way to go and a bad way to go. Uh, our editor, Kevin Brassler, who looked at this, basically said they're less expensive. They're much better than they were in the past, much better quality than they were in the past. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're low maintenance or no, they're actually no maintenance because you don't have to paint them. That's a big factor for some people. Sure. Uh, so you might, you know, consider that as a way to go. It's not like the old days where they were a problem. And I didn't know, and I found this out doing the podcast, that all windows these days have to meet federal energy standards. So basically, they've got to be two pane windows to give you a lot of in insulation. So any window you buy is going to be much better probably than the really old window, especially if you have single pane windows on your on your, on your your home or your condo because it's going to take care of that. So uh, warranties really do vary. Big okay. difference in warranties. So yeah. you really want to check with that. Uh, we all, we suggested in our story, you go to Consumer Reports and they test a number of windows every year. That obviously, they can only do a small sample, but it gives you some idea about the warranties and how they hold up and the different materials. We always suggest people go to Consumer Reports. That's a, a, a really big thing. And then you've really, Nick, you've got to find a good installer. Uh, again, as I said, our surveys show that some companies rated superior uh, and others rated absolutely horrible for the work they did. And as the uh, courtesy, as we always do for your listeners, we have a free link for a 30-day subscription. So you'll be able to get the ratings for window installers if you live in our seven cities where we do these uh, price surveys and the satisfaction surveys. And you'll also, no matter where you live, be able to get anything else we have uh, uh, for the, you know, you can get anything, uh, all the advice wherever you live. You can go and look at windows and you'll get all the advice. But the ratings are only good where we do them. You can get them for free if you use this link. Checkbook.org slash Nick D podcast. If you live in Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Seattle, San Francisco, Boston, Philly, or Washington, D.C., you can get the ratings for dozens of installing companies in those areas. Checkbook.org slash Nick D Podcast. 
I'll do it backwards this time. Washington, D.C., Philly, Boston, San Francisco, Seattle, Minneapolis, St. Paul, or Chicago, everybody else, all the information is free. This is a 30-day subscription, free trial. We have no obligation. Uh, we hope you'll join if you live in those cities because that's how we work on on memberships, and we do this for our members, and the members actually rate the stuff. That's where we get the ratings from. Sure. Uh, but uh, there's no obligation whatsoever. This is a free benefit we do for our Nick D friends. And we really appreciate that. Everybody, uh, I do, and, uh, and all of my friends and, and the listeners, checkbook.org slash Nick D podcast if you want to take advantage of that, uh, that great little offer right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so now, uh, I, you know, I, we've talked about this in the past, where texts can be even uh, 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 scams. Uh, whether oh, or not, well, yes, that's where they move. They move from calls to the text messages because they yeah. figure it works. They know yeah. it works. And, and it's interesting because, like, I immediately, if I don't recognize something, I immediately delete it. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. now they're sending spam email via text, so they're doubling down now? What's, what's yeah. going on with this? Criminals uh, always try to mix things up, and here's a way to mix things up. Because so many spam text messages arrive every day, we're sort of getting immune to them a little bit, and uh, we might skip over them. But if you get a text that's an email, and I got one uh, last month, and it said, the header was IRS underscore internal underscore revenue at, well, that gets your attention. I also got one that said bank underscore of underscore America underscore alerts underscore notifications at, again, that got my attention because A, I don't have a Bank of America account, so I knew something (laughs) wrong. But but I also noticed, because I'm a real skeptic here, that America was spelled A-M-E-R-L-C-A. But at a quick glance, it looks so they were you know messing around with that. Yeah. And the IRS told me that I could get a virtual job to apply to the IRS, took me to a bogus website, uh, absolute bogus website that was created uh, that asked for a lot of personal information, including, surprise, surprise, my social security number. That's the mm-hmm. whole point of this thing. It was identity theft. The Bank of America alerts told me that a debit card transaction in the $500 range had been made twice on my debit card that I don't have. And again, they were trying to you, you click the link and you went to an absolute copycat Bank of America website where they were trying to get my login credentials. That's what the goal here was. So this is all identity theft based. I spoke to my friend Aaron Foss. He uh, started a company called Nomo Robo. The history on this is, and we've talked about this, I think, 26 years ago or so, the Federal Trade Commission had a contest to the great robocall right. challenge to figure out a way to stop robocalls. Two people won the award. They split the 50 grand prize. Aaron got $25,000. He was one of the two winners. Created this company called Nomo Robo. It's free if you have a voice over internet uh, protocol, a VoIP telephone, like I have a phone line through my Comcast service. It will block the robocalls there. It's free. The telephone telephone companies made it so it doesn't work on their service. And for cell phones, I think it's $1.99 a month or something like that. It screens spam text and spam email. So I asked him how this was happening and he looked into it. Basically, they're using this back door. There's a thing called an email gateway that was created way back when, when texting first started. And it's created with every phone number. When the phone company, mobile phone company creates account, you get this email gateway as a backdoor. It was used for some reason way back when. It's virtually not used at all at this time, but the uh, bad guys figured out a way to write an t- email message, and then it goes through this portal, and then it shows up on your uh, smartphone as an email. And then you get this header that says Bank of America or IRS or Amazon.com or whatever they want to show instead of some random phone number that, as you would do, say, I don't know this phone number, and I'm not going to deal with it. 
and this is what they're doing now and the goal always is to steal your money or to steal your personal information on both so i want you to be aware of this is going on and uh, you know what's happening here because it's really sneaky the story uh just went up on checkbook.org and i have pictures of what the text looked like and I yeah i'm looking at it where now. i landed yeah and uh, now, i yeah. mean do you see i mean you see that one the irs is kind of eh, because it's kind of weird. But look at the Bank of America. That is absolutely the Bank of America login page. You yeah. would have no, absolutely no way of knowing uh, that that was a phony page. Oh, and here's one thing I learned, and Aaron taught me this, and this is really, really important. For years, consumer advocates, yours truly included, always said that you could tell the odds of a site being legitimate were increased if it had that little lock on there or it had the HTTPS for a secure connection. We were always right. told to look that up in the, in the address bar. Right. Well, that's not the case anymore because anybody can now get the security certification. And so that old advice, that, that fake uh, Bank of America you saw, that had a secure connection. So what the secure connection now means with a criminal is you have a secure connection between your computer and the criminal's computer. That's all that means. So I was going to, I was going to, if I fought, fell for this, I was going to be communicating with those identity thieves over a secure connection. Didn't mean it was a legitimate Bank of America site. That's what that second picture there is where it says HTTPS and it has the lock. That was a secure connection that was obtained by a criminal. It does not mean you're dealing with a legitimate site. That's really mm -hmm. important for people to remember nowadays. That's not the sure sign that it's a legitimate website. And I thank Aaron at the Nomo Robo for letting us know about that. And, and also you say that, you know, we've talked about this before, but the best way to respond is to like contact a company if you have an account with that company. Yeah. Um, and and if you say, hey, out, hey, yeah. this is this. Th I want you to know that I received this text or I received this email. Contact them. Yeah, if you get a, you know, if you get somebody says somebody just charged, uh, you know, nine hundred dollars on your Amazon account. First of all, if you don't have an Amazon account, you don't need to worry about it. Right. Uh, second of all, if you do have an Amazon account, log onto your account and see if something's there. You know, if that does, and if it's something else, if a bank, you know, says your bank account is frozen or something like that, call your bank and find out what's going on. Never use the contact information in the text message because, in many cases, now they have a number that goes to a boiler room and they answer the phone. Hello, American Express. Hello, right. Bank of America. I mean, they, right. these right. guys are doing this for a living. They're smart. Uh, you have to call a number. The number's on the back of your card. It's on your monthly statement. It's on an invoice you get if you're shopping. Use that number that is trusted that you know is legitimate. Don't trust anything that's in that communication. Uh, and uh, and there's so much of this stuff, despite all the spam filters and what's going on, it, it's just overflowing. And it really scares people. I have members of my family who are seniors, and they get these things, and I get calls at 11 o'clock at night. Oh, my God, somebody just shut off my credit card account. Oh, the bank. Oh, my God, somebody just charged an Apple uh, you know, iWatch, uh, iPhone to my, to my Amazon account. Right, no, they right. didn't. You know, you don't have an Amazon account. They couldn't right. possibly do that. Right. But, you know, it's, it scares the daylights out of people, which is the goal. And then you do something, which is what they want you to do, which is you click. And once you click, you go in that rabbit hole. Right. And then, you know, then you realize after you've given out the information that you've done it. And as I've yeah. said before to you, there is no undo button in the uh, in the, the cyber world. You give them the stuff and click submit and it's gone forever. You can't yeah. get it back. You can't take yeah. it back. Well, if you want to, you know, the, uh, the, the article is up and you can check it out at, uh, uh, at checkbook.org and, uh, always helping out. It's, it's, they prey upon fear, man. That's the main yeah. thing. That's you know? right. Yeah. No question. And they have it. no conscience. Cause I've talked to them. They have no conscience whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I had one boiler room scammer say to me, he said, look, man, it's my job to steal the money. It's your job to, to fend me off. And if you don't do that, that's your problem, not mine. 
guy'd stolen over a million dollars. That that that's his moral compass. That's not Can my I, problem. I, before before we let you go, Herb, I want to recommend a a, a documentary, uh, a three part documentary series to you about telemarketing. There you go. It's called Telemarketers, um, and it's on it's on uh, HBO Max or Max, yep. whatever you call it. I can't recommend it highly enough, Herb. Uh, not only is it very entertaining and really really funny, but also uh, for people who might not know just how deep and crazy telemarketing scams go. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. movie really opens your eyes if you don't know that already. I think a lot of people know that telemarketing is a complete scam, but this movie is a true story based on real guys who worked on both sides of it. It's a pretty fascinating movie, and I think you would love it if you watched it, Herb. It's called One of my uh, cybersecurity friends told me it was one of the best things he'd seen, so I do plan to watch it. Maybe we'll Please talk do. about it next time. Yeah, we'll no, talk about it next time when we, talk to, when we talk to Herb, the movie reviewer. Yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Herb, always a pleasure. Uh, everybody can check you out uh, at uh, checkbook.org, uh, Consumer Man all over the internets and the social medias, and consumerman.com and all that great stuff. Herb, always a pleasure, and we'll talk to you next month, my friend. And have a happy, uh, a happy Halloween, because I'll happy talk to you in November. That's right. We'll talk to you in November. Have a great Halloween as well. Thanks, Nick. Bye-bye. All right, Herb. Take care, buddy. There's Herb Weissbaum. He is the Consumer Man. Now we're going to talk cars as we continue for the people with the one and only Tom Appel. Tom Appel. We're going to talk about cars. Yeah, Tom Uphill. Do people when they when they when they say your last name, Tom? Do they say Uphill? Is that is that ever happened any, any anywhere? Not often enough. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Tom Uphill. Tom Appel, uh, who is the publisher of a Consumer Guide Automotive, uh, joins us every month, the first Tuesday of each month, for our For the People podcasts, and uh, it's time to talk cars with Tom. Tom, always great to hear from you. How are you, sir? I am well, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. So I guess summer is officially over, even though you know it's yeah. the beginning of October and it's 97 degrees in Chicago. Uh, but uh, uh, but if summer is how did your summer go? Did you have a, an interesting, fun one? Was it good? I'm trying to think, and and I can't think of anything, especially summer that happened here <laughs> at Hacienda Habel. I, I think yeah. uh, our air conditioning went out yesterday, but we fixed that. That mm. was the big trauma. That was a big trauma. But uh, yeah. No, I think we're good. Not much happened, actually. Isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, isn't that really a a, a, a a big trauma when in October you're worried about your air conditioning going out? Doesn't it mean something's wrong seasonally in this world when we're worried about? We should not be worried about air conditioning in October. We shouldn't. And the first thing I did was was go to my phone and check the uh, the weather, and it looked like it's going to be warm this week. And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, we got to fix this. Yeah, this is not good. Anyway, all right. Well, I'm I'm glad that you had a non-summary summer. I guess I don't I don't know. <laughs> Thank don't you. Know. This is Tom Appel. Uh, he joins us every month. Has been uh, you know a regular uh, contributor to my shows on the radio and my podcasts here at Radio Misfits and so on and so forth. Incredible guy, uh, and uh, and uh, also has a podcast himself that he'll tell you about. But you're with Consumer Guide Automotives. Tell everybody yeah. about Consumer Guide Automotive. Yeah, Consumer Guide Automotive, great place to go if you're looking for a car, if you're buying a car, if you're looking for reviews, you want to keep up on what's going on uh, in the world of automotive news, and if you want to listen to our fun podcast, we just recorded an episode earlier today. Okay, and uh, once again, it's called Car Stuff, the podcast, Jeff. Yep, the Consumer Guide Car Stuff podcast, new episode early every Tuesday morning. Right, and uh, I'm lucky enough to have been a guest on it, and a uh, fabulous time. 
it was great. And, uh, you know, anytime you want to have me come back, Tom, I'd be more than happy because I loved it. I had a great time. Uh, we're going to do that soon, I hope. Okay, very cool. And uh, and people can follow you on all the social medias and all that stuff, see you everywhere. Uh, Consumer Guide, uh, what, what's the website for Consumer Guide Automotive? ConsumerGuide.com? It's just consumerguide.com. Yep. Right. And, uh, and you got the connection. You can get the, you can get all the articles that we're going to be talking about. You can talk about the, uh, the blog, the daily drive stuff, all that really cool stuff. It's all there. Consumerguide.com. Check it out. And, uh, Tom, where can people follow you on the, on the socials? Oh, for auto stuff, I'm on Twitter or X or whatever it is. I'm car guy, Tom. You can follow me on Facebook, but it's just a lot of family stuff. Gotcha. All right. So car stuff, follow them on the X or whatever the hell it's called, as we said. But it's uh, Car Guy Tom. Car Guy Tom, you'll find him there. So there you go. And always check out Consumer Guide Automotive. All right. As we often do, not often, always do, we always like to find out what you've been driving. Because uh, normally you're in a car for about a day when we record. Um, but you drive new cars, test drive them, all that stuff. And all the reviews and the test drives, they're all documented. And you can check it out, all the new car reviews, all that stuff as a Consumer Guide. What are you in now? What have you been driving? What, what are you in now? What are you driving now? Uh, and I've been in it for a week and a day. They're not picking oh. this car up until tomorrow. So I have I have 400 miles on this bad boy. Wow. Okay, cool. Well, you've been driving this one for a while. It's more than just the McDonald's for an iced tea. It's more yes. than that. Okay. <laughs> more than that. So uh, <laughs> what have you been driving for this length of time? Tell me about uh, it. There's a, there's a wonderful uh, coincidence here, too. Uh, I am driving the Infiniti. G80 electrify, Electrified, so that's Infiniti, that's the luxury arm of Hyundai. The G80 is their midsize sedan, and Electrified means it's an electric vehicle. Okay. Uh, and, and it is an extraordinarily good electric vehicle. Is uh, that and, right? Yeah. Uh, Infiniti does a great job with interiors and, and exteriors. They're not the best handling vehicles. They're not that sporty, but they're really beautiful, great on the highway. And and this electric version has a fair amount of range. It was dropped off with 306 miles of range on it, um, which is excellent. I've been driving it all week, and I need to go get it charged before they pick it up tomorrow. Okay. And uh, is it easy to find places to charge it? Uh, how's that been going for you? I actually am walking distance from a Walgreens that has a level three fast charger. Wow. So I'm just going to plug that? it in for like 10 minutes and, and that should be able. They just need to get it about 20 miles. So a good review then for the, for the Infiniti G80. Yeah, it's pricey though. And you would expect that it's a luxury car and then it's all electric and it comes in just under 80. So it's a pricey vehicle, but, but mm-hmm. boy, is it good. But it's a good one. So you had fun driving that one. All right. I did. What I were did. you driving? What were you driving before that? You know, I drove another electric recently, and that was the Nissan Aria. That's Nissan's midsize. I'm sorry, compact crossover. Excellent vehicle. Uh, we little talked expensive. a little bit about. We talked a little bit about the Aria. Did we? Okay, yeah. I, I think just I, briefly, I, just very briefly. But tell me about it. What, what, that what might have been. Driving? That might have been my. I just drove it to McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Yeah. <laughs> so the Aria, a good car though. Yeah, basically, if you know what the Nissan Rogue is, that's Nissan's very popular compact crossover. This is an electric version of that. Now, it's not really a version. It's mechanically completely different, but it it fits that space uh, marketing-wise, branding-wise. So it's a compact crossover, seats four people, uh, lots of range, good power, very nicely put together, very stylish cabin. Mm -hmm. I'm very impressed by it. Okay. Um, You know, uh, do you you guys put together over at Consumer Guide... um, um, like, because we're, we're, in, we're in October now. We've only got a couple of months before the end of the year. Do you guys put a year-end list together of the best cars that you drove, the best cars of uh, 2023, so on and so forth? Do you, you guys do that kind of wrap-up stuff for the end of the year, Consumer Guide? 
what we do is we put together our best buy list and I actually need to create my 2024 best buy list, which is based on 2023 driving stuff. And we'll publish that right around December 1st. Mm -hmm. And what, and, uh, and what goes into that? Uh, do, do, is it tough to put together that, uh, to that, to that list? Do you, do you put all, do you put everything in order that you've driven or just like pick the top 20 or the top 10 or how do you do that? It usually ends up being the top 35 or 40 of okay. all the vehicles that we see. And because vehicles don't change every year, um, that's a pretty that's a pretty complete list. Yeah, that's pretty that's that's pretty cool. And and I've often asked, you know, we've often, we've asked this before again, what kind of what goes into test driving a car? Do you do you go out of your way to go uh, you know, on different types of roads? Do you, you know, to try to drive it in as many situational places as possible? You know what I mean like to 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 get a, a varied and maybe a little bit more accurate uh, uh, test drive? How does that work for you? Yeah, good question. One of the things that I have to do is make sure that I get highway time in. I'm working from home these days, and I get lots of suburban driving in, and I go a lot of places, and I try to find new fun places to photograph the car every week. Yeah. But I do have to get on the highway just to balance the fuel economy and put some right. highway miles on it. Right. So I'm here in Palatine, which is really north on 53. So I like to head south, and I'll go as far as, as like, um, oh, I don't know, way past Woodfield, and then I'll turn around and come back just to get some highway miles on I there. see. I see. And uh, do you just crank the tunes when you're doing that? Just to... I do. I can't keep them cranked the whole time because I kind of need to make an evaluation about quietness. Sure. I, I love to listen to music. And here's the thing, man. This Infinity, I'm driving. I'm sorry, Genesis, I'm driving right now. Yeah. Great stereo. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Good stereo. Oh, man. All right. So you're cranking a little Sabbath. Wait, no, I'm not even <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Uh, so the, you get all that information. Really, everybody should check it out, Consumer Guide Automotive. And we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the Daily Drive blog because there are some fun things on that that you guys – you have a lot of fun with that blog, don't you, Tom? I do, yeah. It's a good time. And I try to get – there's been so much news and so many reviews coming in that I haven't had fun in a while. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I need to goof around a little bit more. But I think that's coming up. I think things open up. And towards the end of the year, less car stuff happens. Okay. All right. So we'll get more goofy blog stuff that we can have some fun with uh, yes. in the next in the last couple of visits of the year uh, to the podcast here. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, obviously we talk about automotive news. We talk about cars. We talk about all that stuff. And we'll get to uh, the stories that you guys have been covering at, at Consumer Guide and stuff that you've been writing about and things that you wanted to, to touch on. But the big automotive story, I mean, obviously, Tom, is the strike. Yep. Um, this is something that we need to talk about. Uh, I want to get your insight on the latest, what you're hearing from your side, uh, you know, people in the business and stuff like that. But the UAW strike, uh, it continues. And what are your thoughts on it? And for people who might not know exactly what's happening, can you give them like a basic 101 on, on the UAW strike and then we can hear the latest and your thoughts on it? Yeah, for decades, the UAW has, has represented auto workers in the U.S. And uh, every four years... We hear about the UAW, and we hear about the UAW potentially striking U.S. automotive manufacturers. And that's that's when the contracts are come up. They're, they're four-year contracts. Yeah. Same thing in Canada, actually. Unifor is the Canadian uh, automotive uh, labor union, and, and they do a lot of stuff with the American makers. So it's interesting to see what's going on there. But that's, being, that's going on right now, the Canadian uh, talks, and much more peaceful. They've already signed a deal with Ford. So that's going better. But here in the U.S., one of the things that's happening is back in 2007 and 2011, mm -hmm. um, the, the UAW gave up a considerable number of perks and benefits and things like that uh, because the automakers were basically failing. 
People might remember that's when Chrysler was forced into the hands of Fiat. General Motors actually went bankrupt and Ford almost went bankrupt. Uh, so that was the story there. But they, one of the things that they gave up or actually didn't give up but uh, allowed to happen was a two-tier wage system. And that's where new workers make less money than established or senior workers. And they want done with that now. The argument they're making is that the automakers have made so much money, especially during the supply chain shortage issues, uh, during the supply chain craziness of the last few years, yeah. that they, they don't need these concessions anymore. What's interesting is that while that's true, automakers are also going to go into a period now of very low profits as they electrify. So a lot going on here. I understand why the two-tier system, two system doesn't work for the UAW. The other thing they want is a return to a defined pension as opposed to a 401k. And I thought that that was not going to happen, but it's looking like it might. Mm. Okay. And, uh, and, and, uh, and what about the, the, the uh, UAW president, uh, 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 Sean Fain? What, what's, Sean uh, Fain. What's, what's the story there? That guy is uh, crazy, it seems. He, um, the UAW went through a period of incredible embarrassment and shame because they, they turned out to be incredibly corrupt. They were in bed with a lot of people from uh, Fiat Chrysler. And, and there are people in jail now because of the corruption. And Sean Fain comes from a clean sheet of paper. He's not involved with the old management of the UAW. And he was actually a, a line worker, or an engineer actually, working for Chrysler back in the day. So yeah. he's kind of a people's guy. But one of the interesting things about that is, is if he has a chip on his shoulder, it's because he just barely got elected. Yeah. And, and he's worried about the way the UAW looks and can see yeah. too easily. He yeah. really wants the UAW to now be the worker's organization so he's playing hardball he's saying a lot of dumb stuff uh but but he seems to want these strikes to last a while really yeah is there is there what, what's the thought why is that why would he want them to last a while i i think he wants it to look like the uaw has teeth again like that they matter they're really oh, representing people they're asking for things that the uaw wants i mean if you're a worker you're like yeah that's the stuff we need and want but they're, they're, he's asking for a lot. They started out asking for 40% raises over the next four years. Yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Four-day work weeks, never going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of stuff. I mean, and they threw everything on the table. And he's kind of sticking to his guns on the silly stuff. So, and, and not responding in any hurry to counteroffers by the Detroit makers, which is weird. And are the auto workers saying, hey, man, this guy is being kind of an, uh, a loon here. Four-day work week, 40% increase. Are the are the workers? You know, I mean, they're striking because they want to stick together and they want th they want there to be changes, right? But if this guy is kind of pushing it a little bit too far, are the workers saying anything about that, or are they just like towing the line? I haven't heard much, and and the strikes have been very strategic, right? They've been this is new and unprecedented. He struck one of each of the three Detroit makers to begin with, but not very many workers. So a lot of workers are still working and getting their pay. The others are getting strike pay, which is reduced. Uh, it's much less than you if you, they were actually working. Right. But I, I don't think the UAW is in any danger of running out of strike fund money so they can drag this out. And I think the workers want to get as much as they can. But I have not heard, to your point, I've not heard much about worker unhappiness with how this is going. Sean Fain, then, what is his background? Has he, was, he, was he an auto worker? Is he not? Is he just a union dude? Is he, what, I mean, what's, what's the guy's background? He worked at a Chrysler supplier as a Chrysler employee as an engineer. Mm -hmm. And I believe that he was a UAW member. All right, was he was he ever on the line or anything? Kind of on the line. He was in the shop. I don't think he actually okay. was a worker. I think he was more of a supervisor manager. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Yes. <laughs> that somehow makes complete sense to me. Um, all right. Well, we'll see what happens there. Interesting dude, Sean Fain, uh, asking for some. Yeah. When I first, when I like literally, I was watching a, a new, a little bit of a news bit. I was over at my folks' house. Um, I visit them, you know, once a week. And we hang out and have dinner and watch TV and stuff. And we were watching the news and. Uh, when I heard like you know forty percent increase in four day work week, I'm like four day man, that's a that seems <laughs> like a lot, man. Four days, you know. Um, we all want that. Yeah, shit. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I mean, it seems like a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll see how long this goes. Um, and what, now, what's what? There was a Ford shut down a a, a battery factory. What's it, 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 as part of this? What, what what what's your take on this? Like during this strike, Ford shut down an EV battery factory. This is a very strange story. Ford has halted production of a three point two billion dollar battery production. This is for electric cars, and they claim they can't go ahead with production of this until they know what their costs, their labor costs, are moving forward. So. Sean Fain is saying this is theater. There's no reason for them to shut down the plant. Ford, on the other hand, is like, no, no, no. We can't go ahead with electric car development until we know what our real costs are. So, I don't know. It feels like a lot of theater to me, but but it, it's really interesting. The other interesting part about this is this huge plant, $3.2 billion plant, a lot of money. That's a, that's a big factory. Yeah. Would only employ 1,500 employees when it was completed relatively low for that kind of money sure your typical car plant usually employs between 3500 and 7000 people and this is a problem moving forward the the american automakers and all automakers are going to need less labor to build electric vehicles moving forward mm. and is that a point of the strike as well uh, uh... not directly but indirectly because the the uaw does not want any of the the traditional big three automakers to shut down factories but of course at some point they're going to have to yeah. or need to yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, hey, when, when is the next auto show, and, uh, uh, and and is this going to affect the auto show in any way? I didn't even think about this. I don't, you know, because I know that there are auto shows that happen in different cities around the world or around the country, at least. Is there an auto show that's upcoming that might be affected, or are there other things that are affected by this strike that normally would go on? I don't think this will affect the the auto show. The LA Auto Show is coming up in the middle of November, and okay. it usually wraps up uh, right around. Uh, uh, Thanksgiving. So that's coming up, uh, and that should be a pretty big show. The LA show has become the green show, so a lot of electric vehicles show up there. And yeah. a lot of those electric vehicles are not coming from Detroit automakers, so I don't think they're going to have a problem. Now, locally here in Chicago, how many plants are there? I've, I've, I've noticed that they're, uh, they've, they've been doing a local angle on this, on the, on the, on the news programs here, you know, uh, the, local, the local shows. Um, are there a lot of uh, people that are, that are striking right now, a lot of people that are out of work? Um, happening here locally, and what's what's the situation here, not just nationally, but here in the Chicagoland area? Yeah, the last round of uh, of strike of the of uh, new strike targets. One of them was Torrance Avenue, which is Ford's right. big plant on the south side. Right. So that plant has shut down, um, and they built the Explorer and the the Explorer police car that we're not supposed to call Explorer. Ford calls it its pursuit vehicle. But it is an explorer. Uh, okay. I don't know why. I don't know why they don't want to. Because they want to. They want to pursue criminals, not explore with them. I, I guess. I guess, I guess explore. that's what it is. Explorer is too good natured. It is. Hey, let's go explore. No, we got to pursue. That's, <laughs> uh, so anyway, that plant uh, on Torrance then. Yeah, big plant, and and that's this is one of those things too about an auto strike and, and auto production. The plant itself is big; it's a high capacity plant, but it's surrounded by uh, a lot of uh, tier one and tier two suppliers that that provide um, 
material and components to the factory and of course those all shut down too oh, so man, yeah. you've got the i think that's a four thousand person plant i'm not sure but yeah. that's just at that plant there's probably another 1500 2000 people who are also out of work at the moment yeah and so that's just locally um yep. so it's a big deal all right well any hint i mean you we were talking a little bit about how a, a little bit uh uh, goofy this guy might be, this Sean Fain guy might be, and some of the... Is, is, any hint at when this thing might, might end? Is there a buzz on when it might or when they want it to end? And and, 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 and as a, a, a related question, the last big strike that happened, how long did that last and what was the outcome of that? Do you remember? I cannot remember how long the last big strike lasted, but I want to mm -hmm. say it was relatively short. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this one might wrap up in a couple of weeks now, too. Okay. The, the Sean Fain targets are interesting and weird and random. Like the the Fort Torrance Avenue, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, but but when he he struck down uh, General Motors uh, Wentzville plant, which was I think kind of shut down for um, for a redesigned vehicle anyway. That's where they built the Chevy Colorado and GMC Canyon. So that was just wrapping up. I don't think they were building anything in there yet. So that wasn't that high impact. So I, I don't know exactly what the plan is here. Okay. All right. Well, we'll keep obviously we'll keep an eye on it, and uh, hopefully by the next time uh, the next time we talk at the beginning of November, it'll be over by then. That I think be... it might be. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we wanted to, had to touch on that. That's a big news yeah. story, obviously, and a big uh, big story locally and nationwide. Uh, and we'll keep an eye on what's happening with the uh, UAW strike. Um, all right. Hey, uh, it's uh, an interesting way to segue into another story: is uh, uh, models being discontinued. Uh, the, the Kia Rio and the Mitsubishi Mirage, what's happening with them? Um, and are they good cars and are they being discontinued? Is that what I'm hearing here? Yeah. So what's happening is America is losing its last sub $20,000 vehicles. Um, oh, the, man. yeah, Hyundai and Kia built the Hyundai Kia and the Kia Rio, both small cars, both very likable small sedans. One's a hatchback. Um, but but they can't give them away anymore. And and during the during the supply chain issue era, they didn't want to build and sell these anyway because there's no profit here. So these right. cars just sort of faded away. They weren't updated when they should have been, and now they're just being pulled from the U.S. The third model, the Mitsubishi Mirage, not a good vehicle. Uh, frankly, a crappy little three-cylinder thing. No one wanted to drive. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, its disappearance is a surprise to no one. Yeah. Well, by the way, uh, that's a that's a, is it was that your review? Crappy little vehicle? Was that your full on review of it? When you, <laughs> I needed another nine hundred words, and I couldn't use crappy. <laughs> you couldn't use crappy another eight hundred and seventy four times. That wasn't going to work out. <laughs> um, so okay, you know, okay, one of the cars is not very good. The other one is okay, though, right? It's a, it's a pretty decent car. Yeah, and that's that's the funny thing. A lot of people say like, well, America needs more affordable cars. Well, Americans don't want them. Uh, yeah. Is that ultimately what it comes down to? Really? I mean, you know, like, a, you know, you, you think when you hear a story like that, it's like, oh, we, we no longer have like cars for 20 grand affordable cars. But if people weren't going for them, then, yeah, they're going to go away. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's a weird thing about what people perceive. And if you're if you like to knock on the auto industry, that's what you say. Like they don't want to give people stuff they can afford. I see. They used yeah. to say that about fuel economy, too. But you can always get a Prius very affordably that would get 50 miles per the gallon. People stop doing that as well. So, yeah. It, it, people do not always want what's good for them. Yeah, yeah. But the but but one of the cars. So the Rio is not a bad car, though, right? No, no. The Hyundai and Kias were actually excellent little cars. Fun, to, not almost fun to drive. Very easy on the gas, and far more refined than you would expect for the money. 
the cars that they're getting rid of are they replacing them in any way? Is there like a like a like a pseudo a, a car that kind of fits into that category? Obviously, a little bit more pricey, but are there yeah, are there cars almost, that could be a suitable replacement? Yeah, in every case, what, what what you have is a small crossover that's taking their place, and Americans do want those. So that and then manufacturers could charge more for a crossover, whether the materials justify it or not. So and those most crossovers, the cheapest you can do is about twenty four grand. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's not bad, right? Twenty four grand. That's a, you know, that's that's. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you were talking about a car fifteen minutes ago that was uh, <laughs> that was eighty grand. So yeah, no. <laughs> if if you decide like Chevy just brought out a, re, a new version of the Trax, right? And they replaced. They used to have the the Sonic. Uh, as a little car and the spark as a little car both started under 20 grand they had a very hard time selling those but they could sell the tracks tracks was just redesigned uh it's much bigger now it fits four adults uh it's it's relatively refined good on the gas some power that starts at 22 and goes to 26 so you mm -hmm. can still do something affordable it's yeah. just not as cheap as it used to be okay how often do do uh do do models get discontinued get discontinued like this does it happen every year is there at least one or two cars that just go now that's it we're done yeah there's a lot of loose ends that get discontinued but mostly manufacturers like to continue a vehicle because they already have it out there in the market it's got a name it's got a market position it's got some recognizability yeah. very expensive to start from scratch so you don't see it too often but a lot of names that we used to know like maxima uh, those are being discontinued this year, but that right. maximum is a sedan and no one cares about it anymore. Right. So what happens to the vehicles once they're discontinued, but they're out there like on a used car market or they're out there on a lot somewhere or they're out there like the Rio and the Mirage. Uh, d do people go, oh, I don't want that car. They've been discontinued. Is there like a, like a cloud over the head of those cars that people will go, Oh shit, it's been discontinued. I don't want to buy that car. To some extent, it seems like consumers are afraid of buying a discontinued car, and it does hurt, uh, you know, whatever brand image there was there for a vehicle to be discontinued. But normally what happens is that dealers start to discount, discount those vehicles, rebates show on those vehicles, show up on those vehicles, and then the really good news is that the manufacturers still exist, so they're going to build parts for it and service that vehicle oh, I see. in perpetuity. Okay, so you can still have service on the car then, right? It's not like... Yeah. It's, not, it's not like if you get the car, you're like, oh, hell, if it breaks down, I can't get this thing fixed, right? Exactly. Now, if, if you bought a Suzuki, it might uh, yeah. be difficult to get that repaired now because it's been <laughs> right. a while since that brand pulled out of the U.S. Right. <laughs> Are there a lot of Suzukis out there? Do people can you no. Still, can you, no, you can't find a Suzuki anywhere? Suzuki was funny because they never really landed with a good dealer network, and that, that can be a problem. It's a problem for Mitsubishi that Suzuki dealers were usually like the second, third, or fourth brand sold by a dealer. They didn't get their own showrooms. They didn't get dedicated salespeople, and sometimes the service was subpar. So I don't know why anyone would really consider that brand. <laughs> right. Let me ask you a question. When you're driving around, Tom, as you often do, because, you know, that's like a big part of your job. When you're driving uh -huh. around, and I know that you notice other vehicles. I know that your eyes are peeled for other cars and other vehicles that are on the road. You know, you note these kind of things. Do you ever look at a car and go, what the hell is that doing on the road? Like, do you ever see a Suzuki and go, Jesus, what? You ever, are there certain cars out there that sometimes you just go, I got to take a picture of this thing? Or, man, I haven't seen this kind of car on the road in a long time. Do you ever get surprised by some of the stuff you see out there? Oh, yeah. There was a last gasp by Suzuki. I, mean, I think this is. <laughs> I can't believe yeah. we're talking about Suzuki. This is great. <laughs> yeah, 10 years ago or so, Suzuki failed, but they built a car called the Kazashi, okay, okay. Which, which is a questionable name. But the Kazashi was based on Suzuki Mechanicals, but its future was sort of relying on a tie-up between Suzuki and Volkswagen. 
and Volkswagen, the two were going to merge to some extent and take co-ownership. Yeah. And this, the Kazashi was going to get like really cool Volkswagen engines, and that car was going to be really cool, but it didn't happen. Somehow, some way, um, the, the, the Suzuki people decided that the Volkswagen people were racist. Really, that that's actually the story. Didn't want to Is work that right? together. Yeah. Right? yeah, and the Kazashi just sort of hung out there through its crappy dealer network, and <laughs> it was really a nice little car, but no one cared, and I think right. the name scared people away too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, it, it is a pretty aggressive name, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, there might be some weird ninja <laughs> yeah, new meaning it, to it. It I don't does. Know. It, it feels very samurai, doesn't it? It's yeah. like, God damn, I, okay, I'm going to be a badass if I buy this car. Uh, it's gonna, you know. So, all right. Well, that's that's interesting. But but are there other cars out there where you, you do you ever just drive around and go, what is that doing out here? Not necessarily Suzuki, but when you spot a car that like is, is like, you know, do you ever get like stunned by certain cars that are out there? I am stunned that I still see Daewoo's, uh, okay. but they're okay. out there. <laughs> okay. What's it for people? <laughs> why? What is it, and why are you stunned by the day? <laughs> <laughs> Daewoo would have been like the second Korean company to come to the U.S. They, they were between Hyundai and Kia, uh, and they had the strangest marketing plan in the world. They were going to launch and have college kids talk about how cool their Daewoo's were oh, that's right. and try to sell them to other college kids. And it may not surprise you to learn that was an abject failure. I remember. I think we talked about this. In the, I think we talked about this before. That's hilarious. Who the hell came yeah. up with that idea? Hey, college kids talking about their cars. That's... Yeah, I think I think Daewoo went two model years, and for some reason the Laganza, which is the biggest Daewoo, <laughs> I see them all the time. Get out of here! You see Laganzas on the street? Yeah, now I don't see Nubiras and I don't see Lanos, but I, I see I see Laganzas. Oh man, I need to know where they are because I want to see a Laganza. You ever take a picture of Laganza? Do you ever go? Oh my God, look at that. I will. Laganza. That's that's totally car spotter fodder. So I would yeah. post that on Twitter. Uh, please make sure. I want to see. I want to see some Laganzas. That's my next. <laughs> the, the next thing I want to see. Some Load- hot Laganza. Action. I want to see. <laughs> I want some Laganza on Laganza action. That's what I want right there. <laughs> that's what I want. Oh man! All right, Laganza. Wow, uh, that's fantastic. Um, and, and, yeah, I, you know, it's funny because like I, I, I would imagine because you know the business so well that sometimes you're driving and you're like, like somebody like would rebuild a car. You ever look at a car that's been rebuilt and go, why the hell would you do? You ever look at cars and go, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, oh. why? How often does that? How often does that happen, Tom? That happens a lot. I'm always yeah. wondering why people are putting money into that car. Um, <laughs> There's a, a huge number of uh, Dodge Avengers on the road, and, yeah. and the Avenger was almost always crappy, so most of them ended up in fleets, and I think that in the Chicago area, we didn't see them, and I see more of them now than I did when they were being built. Really? And I think they were just, they were lease turn-ins, they were incredibly cheap cars to buy used, and a lot of yeah. people took it, took advantage of that. At some right. point, a car is cheap enough to buy, no matter how bad it is, Right. Uh, and they're still out there. Oh, that's amazing! That's amazing. You ever see any uh, any uh, bondoed Mavericks out there anymore? I don't think I don't think we've we've, we've discussed them. <laughs> I <laughs> I have not seen a bondoed car in a while. Oh man, I miss it. I need to keep an eye out for that. Yeah, if you miss it, we got to you got to do a bondo watch in addition to into the a bondo spotter. Do it. Do a bondo spotter. I'm sure that'd be a very popular segment on your uh, popular feature. 
I actually, I think the people that, that hang out on Twitter that follow me would love that. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Well, we actually remember when we first started talking about Bondo about a year ago on the podcast. Yeah, and then we got people sh- uh, uh, sending in emails and like pictures of their cars that were Bondoed. Yeah, there were a bot. We f- I discovered when we first started talking about this kind of on our, not regularly, but the first couple of times we talked about it, the feedback that I got from my at least my my listeners and my subscribers was there Bondo is is still alive and well. It's wow. out there. I was reminded of a Bondo thing recently that I sort of forgot about, but most yeah. amateur Bondo users never <laughs> let it set. And and Bondo is a little bit like plaster. Like, as it dries and hardens, it shrinks. Yeah. So you kind of need to go on for a second application. But <laughs> right. in a lot of cases, it just fell off. Because... <laughs> I don't know what it is about Bondo that I love so much, but we've talked about it in, I think, any... <laughs> Any, any appearances that you make, and you make a lot of appearances on TV, and you make a lot of appearances on, on other podcasts and radio shows and stuff. Uh, I, I, I don't think, does Bondo ever come up more than it comes up on this podcast with you, Tom? I think I, 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 think I could say with, with great certainty that I've only discussed Bondo with you. <laughs> I could not be more proud right now. <laughs> Honest to God. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, you had a bonus episode of uh, your uh, Consumer Guide uh, Car Stuff podcast, and it involved EV charging level basics. Yeah. Um, t- talk a little bit about that and how people can get it. It's a bonus episode. I wanted to talk about that before we moved on. Yeah, just 10 minutes real quick. Uh, we look at level one, level two, and level three charging. Jo- co-host Jilson Manillo and I. And the reason we did this is just because it's confusing if you don't know what these things mean. So just real quick, we were talking about this. If you're looking for an electric car, and a guy I know at the health club just did, uh, was kind of confused about how this works. So level one, level two, level three charging, that's how you charge your electric car. Level one, almost useless, this is an emergency thing, is plugging your car into a wall outlet. And, and if, you have, <laughs> if you have a car like a Chevrolet Bolt that's completely depleted, it will take you 60 hours to charge your car. So if you got like, <laughs> you've got an outlet in the garage, it's not going to work. It's It'll going to take work a long time. It'll in an take emergency, long but time. you're really going to want to come up with a better solution. <laughs> That's level one. Okay. Yeah. Even, I under, is... even I understand that one, Tom. Okay. Yeah, that one's yeah. bad. <laughs> All right. Level two is, is surprisingly popular, and it turns out that most people who own an EV only use this. And this is you buy a charger for your home. It's about uh, six times faster than level one charging. You got to pay for a charger, about $500 or $1,000, and you have to pay to have it installed, about $500 or $1,000. But once it's there, it's there for good. You probably get a tax credit for doing it, and you can charge most EVs overnight, which is the point of it. Okay. All right. Okay. So that's not terrible. I mean, that's a couple of grand, right? But then you get to charge it overnight. Okay. Yep. Okay. And you may have a tax write-off. And then level three is DC fast charging, and that's the thing that we need more of in this nation. If you're going to travel any distance, you want it to be uh, as easy and quick as possible to charge your car so you can get back on the road. Okay. So these are sometimes called DC fast chargers or fast chargers, uh, but they're they're 10 to 20 to 30 times faster than a home charger. Very quick. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, and, and when all else fails, just plug it right into the above the counter at the kitchen next to the, yeah. next, to the next to the toaster. It'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> all right okay cool well that's a bonus if you want to get a little bit more details on that that's a bonus episode quick one of the consumer guide uh, car stuff podcast and again you can check all this up at uh, consumerguide.com um okay i have to tell you this tom yeah you are new to better call saul yes i am okay i am uh not better call saul i don't i've never watched better call saul 
Oh. Um, and it's because I kind of didn't even finish Breaking Bad. I know that that's like against the law in my world. Like people are like, what? You know, like, uh, you know, I watch Big Brother three times a week. I have not watched all of Breaking Bad. <laughs> so my priorities are a little, I guess, screwed up. So as a result, I'm not familiar with Better Off Saul. Um, oh. A Better Call Saul. And I will tell you this, my, my TV guy, Dan Feinberg, yells at me all the time about it. Um, about it because he knows that I'd like it and it's frustrating for him. He's like, I know you'll like it. But now you've just recently started watching Better Call Saul. Yeah. Um, and because you are Tom Appel, the car, there's a car featured in it. It's Jimmy McGill's car, right? Yeah. yeah. Tell, me uh, about, tell me about this, please. This is a great little angle to take on Better Call Saul. Yeah, so Jimmy McGill, who becomes Saul Goodman, Yeah. Uh, and we know Saul Goodman from, from Breaking Bad, uh, it's, it's not yet a successful shyster lawyer, right? Uh, in, in in the beginning, it's this is a prequel, uh, and in fact, he's kind of a good guy, which is weird. But he's down on his luck, and he's got people working against him, and it's all very frustrating. Right. And one of the most frustrating things for Jimmy is his car, right? And which, and, and, and and by the way, the type of car it is we've talked about just a, <laughs> a little bit earlier. <laughs> And so I don't know why anyone would remember this car, and I don't know why any of these were sold in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but Jimmy McGill drove a trashed Suzuki Esteem. And, I didn't know that. I don't watch the show, but I read your article, and I'm looking at the pictures, and it's cracking my ass up. I have to say that right now, man. One of the funniest things about it, too, is the name, Esteem, and... and Jimmy's love interest on the show, Kim Wexler, yeah. made a point of seeing his steam slowly once while describing the car. And it was just so... Yeah. Oh, but the car is terrible. One of the doors is missing and replaced by a door of another color. But this was an incredibly cheap car at the time. Probably not a terrible car. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was old. It was beat up. There's no chance the air conditioning works. The interior oh. is filthy. It is the perfect car for a lawyer who isn't making it. That's so funny. The 1988 Suzuki... Esteem. Uh, and by the way, Suzuki did not sponsor this segment. I just want everybody to know. <laughs> no chance. Despite the fact that we've talked about them now for, for about six minutes during this entire segment. But that's great. I'm looking at the pictures. By the way, you should check out the article. If you're a fan of Better Call Saul, if you're a fan, even if you're not, uh, what was Jimmy McGill's car is the, is the article uh, that you should check out in the Daily, Drive, uh, the Daily Drive blog. And the pictures are hilarious. They're absolutely hilarious. So, I, need yeah. to, I need to check, too, to see if there was ever a Suzuki dealer in New Mexico. And I doubt there was. Yeah. Well, you, 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 you're you going to check up on uh, on accuracy, then, to see how uh, how accurate the, the, the show was. <laughs> I like to think that car drifted down from, like, Manitoba or something. I, I have no idea how it would have gotten there. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Well, are you? by the way, are you enjoying Better Call Saul? I am. Um, yeah. We're in the last season now, and it looks like this might be like a rush to kind of wrap things up. It's it, mm. The pace has changed. But so far, I've loved it. The Jimmy McGill character is so interesting. Yeah. No, people uh, love it. People love the yeah. show. They do. Yeah. All right. His, and, his, his internal ethical battles are really cool to follow. It's that's really fantastic. well written. Very cool. Okay. All right. How about your favorite car ads, which we want to talk about? The 1957 Morris Minor. Now, that alone, <laughs> the name, Morris Minor. It sounds like a, it, it sounds like a bad radio DJ. Yeah, Morris Minor. <laughs> um, it's a, it, but the, the I tell you, the artwork's pretty damn cool. I will say that on this ad. That is great art. I love yeah. I love classic art. Mercedes ads were famous for this, and Volkswagen ads, but and a lot of American too. When the, when the ads were hand drawn, they were yeah. awesome. They were often awesome. Yeah. 
Now, explain this, Ed, because it's cracking me up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Around 57 or so, in the early 50s, the, the British started referring to American cars as Yank tanks, right? They were, they were big. They were needlessly big, needlessly powerful, blah, blah, blah. And they just didn't understand it. And the British are a frugal people. <laughs> and, and also, they don't need to drive that fast because this is before, in 57, right? They didn't have the, uh, their, their own interstate. Yeah, a lot of smaller two-lane roads, but they didn't have. What do they call those? They got an interstate system, but yeah. But this car, the Morris Minor, which was an incredibly popular car at the time, is being advertised in this ad for its acceleration time, and in big letters, in big time, <laughs> big font, it says zero to sixty in twenty-eight seconds. <laughs> and then, just when you think you're going to stop laughing, above it it says, "Now twice as fast." <laughs> So it took a minute before a minute. it took a minute to get to 60. <laughs> I, there, there's just, there would be no way to get onto to the Kennedy with this car. <laughs> That's amazing. You're not going to see a lot of Morris miners at the Indianapolis 500. That's not going <laughs> to that's not going to happen. Oh, no. man. And, and this was actually a super popular car, and it kind of just drives home a point about priorities and different conditions. Yeah. The Brits never had to drive that fast anyway, and I think in those days, few of them drove over 40 miles an hour because you were either driving around a city or on some very narrow country road. So yeah. they kind of didn't need it. And and it's funny. It's actually hilarious. But here, you know, we're just stuffing massive V8s under hoods, and yeah. cars are getting bigger. Cars were yeah. quick, you know, in the U.S., yeah. and, this is so quaint and That's cute. So funny. Zero to 60 in 28 seconds, twice as fast <laughs> as it used to be. Now, the picture of the car is obviously a really very cool drawing. It's, the artwork is great. I love um, but what did those cars really look like? Like that. They were very yeah, small. They did. Yeah, yeah they, were, they were small, about, man, smaller than most cars here now. I mean, much smaller than a compact crossover. They sat high. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a sedan, I think there was a sedan coupe, or I don't even know what they would call that, but the sedan was the saloon. And there yeah. was a wagon, too, which is pretty cool. And actually kind of collectible now. Okay. All right, cool. All right, there's some of the great stuff that you can check out at ConsumerGuide.com. Uh, the Daily Drive blog is amazing. The articles are great. The reviews are great. And the podcast is great. All of it is great. One of the fun things that uh, we like to talk about when Tom is with us is some of the stuff you do on your social media. You do Star Spotter. That's yeah. when you, you watch a lot of TV, like old-time TV, specifically Westerns. Uh, and to the chagrin of your wife, whenever you spot a star, you <laughs> take a picture of it and you let everybody know who showed up. Well, what have you spotted on, on hashtag Star Spotter lately? Uh, this is a, a twofer because I saw him last month, too. Cesar Romero on Wagon Train. Yeah. yeah. Mustache? Mustache, yes. Heavy mustache and he was yeah. paying a con man. Really yeah. good at that. Just kind of a sleazy, slimy comment. Pretending to be a rich guy selling investments. So perfect role for him. Yeah. Hard to watch him and not think Joker. Um, I know because you know what's and, and one of my favorite stories about that. And I know that this is not a you know this is the story probably everybody knows, but still one of my favorite Caesar Romero stories is that he refused to shave his mustache when he played the Joker. So if you look you know at oh, his face, you can oh. see the mustache like covered by the makeup. Like you can see. <laughs> You could see the like he's like I will not shave my mustache because that was his you know claim to fame. It was like Cesar Romero. I've got a mustache. I'm not going to shave it ever. And so they put makeup on over the mustache, even though the Joker doesn't have a mustache. And you know, but yeah, he refused to shave the mustache. It's one of my favorite little bits. Every time I watch Batman <laughs> and I see a close up, I see a close up of the Joker. I go, there's the mustache right there. 
But uh, wow, yeah. I will never not see that now. I know I, that's the problem. Yeah. Now, now I never not see it. That's uh, that's that's absolutely true. So Caesar Romero on Wagon Tree was he fun to watch? At least he was. Yeah, yeah just yeah. slightly over the top. Exactly where you want him. <laughs> exactly. All right. What else? Who else did you see? This one, uh, I, it's hard for me to think of Festus as anyone but Festus. But Ken yeah. Curtis, the guy that played Festus, showed up on Rawhide, and it was weird because he didn't have a Texas draw and he was clean shaven. So yeah, very right. weird, rare appearance of Festus outside, outside of the Gunsmoke sphere. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so Festus on Rawhide. I wonder if he, uh, I wonder if uh, there was some some sort of legal liability for him appearing on a different show like that. Uh, I don't <laughs> so, know. Yeah, because he was on he was on uh, Gunsmoke for a long time. He was. A, I mean, that show was on forever. So yeah, I think yeah. he I think he did an eighteen or seventeen year stint. Yeah, yeah. Festus, uh, one of the best names ever, Festus. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it is. You also do mystery show where you put up a still or a publicity shot from a television show that basically nobody remembers. What have you? What what, what were you finding here? Now I looked at I looked at a couple of these. I don't remember. I don't remember these at all. Uh, I don't remember the, this one particularly. Tell everybody about the first one here. I don't remember this show at all, and it's weird because it's kind of a kind of a spy thing, and it seems like it would have appealed to college kids and maybe high school kids, uh, but it ran from eighty seven. To 87. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how that went. The New Adventures of Beans Baxter. The New Adventures of Beans Baxter. I got to tell you, I watch a lot of TV, and I've always watched a lot of TV, and I have wasted millions of hours and years of my life watching it. I don't know the New Adventures of Beans Baxter. Were there old adventures of Beans Baxter that we were supposed to be familiar with? I don't know. What? No, it doesn't make sense. I watched the, the opening credits for it a couple of times, and... <laughs> Beans Baxter, which is a nickname for a kid whose father was a spy, his father has been captured, so the story is that he's going to go help the Secret Service or whatever it is looking for his dad, and his, oh. his working name is Beans Baxter, I and see. My, favorite, my favorite star of the show, Eleanor Donahue. Eleanor Donahue. Now, for people who don't know who Eleanor Donahue is. Yeah, I remember her best as Andy Taylor, Sheriff Andy Taylor's girlfriend. Yeah, on uh, the Andy Griffith show, but she was also uh, the daughter. Of, oh man, what was the show? Uh, well, what was oh, it? What was the remind remind me? What was the show about? Do you remember what the show was about? That uh... yeah, it was one of the daddy shows, like Make Room for Daddy. Or, oh, I see. Father, or... Father's knows best. Father knows she? best. There you go. Father yeah. knows best. Yeah. Okay. She was the daughter on that. Okay, and yet she was in this '80s show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. And it lasted for one year, the new adventures. But boy, I, I don't remember it at all. And I looked at the still that you post, you posted and I'm like, nope, <laughs> I got nothing on that one. And there's a, a crazy, crazy amount of animation in the opening credits that involves an animated bean, which <laughs> seems like they're taking the theme too far. <laughs> taking it way too seriously. Yeah. Wow. All right. Okay. Well, uh, you, you do that too. Mystery show and star spot are some of the fun stuff that you can check out. That, uh, that Tom uh, does on the socials, particularly on Facebook. Um, and you can follow Tom on X or on uh, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, uh, yep. Car Guy Tom, uh, with all, yep. the, all the news, and ConsumerGuide.com for all the great stuff that we've been talking about. What are you guys working on next uh, that, uh, that you might be uh, writing about? Anything, uh, anything working on in the works? This week, probably Wednesday, I'm putting together a piece about the Tesla Cybertruck. Okay. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about this, and this is this crazy-looking truck that, that, that Elon Musk came up with in a dream and 
Uh, <laughs> it is forcing into reality. Yeah, and there's a lot of talk about how bad the build quality is on pre-production vehicles, but there's yeah. a lot of talk too. There's a lot of, of, of Elon Musk love and a lot of Elon Musk hate. So okay. it's, it's hard to know what's what. But the truck looks ridiculous, and I haven't really addressed it yet. Yeah. So I'm going to have something up Wednesday that just talks about what that truck is. Okay. All right. Tom, always a pleasure, man, man. It's, it's so much fun to talk to you, and we will, uh, we'll talk to you next month. And, oh, by the way, I, I understand that you are coming uh, to see the Nick D Podcast live. Me and my, me and my men, yeah. Yeah. There, so there will be four awesome. of us. All right. Yeah. If, you, if anybody wants to, like, Tom will be there, and I know that you've met some of, uh, some of your fans. and, and I have, which, uh, is, which is a delight. Yeah. So if you want to say hi to Tom, he's going to be there. It's Tuesday, October 24th, Nick D Podcast Live, Zanies and Rosemont. Get your tickets now at rosemont.zanies.com, and you'll see Tom there as well. Tom, always a pleasure, my friend, and I'll see you, uh, I'll see you at Zanies in a, in a few weeks. Sounds good, Nick. Thanks. All right, buddy. Take care. All right, that's the great Tom Appel. He's the best. All right, hey, you know who else is the best? My dad. My dad is always the best. And, man, let's hear his joke. It's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What'd I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. That's right. Even on the days when we have Herb and Tom here for For the People, jokes are for the people. They make people laugh, and that's what my dad likes to do. My 82-year-old dad loves to tell jokes. And by the way, you can see my 82-year-old dad tell jokes live on stage as part of the Nick D Podcast live right in front of you. Meet him. Hang out with him. My dad will be there. Tuesday, October 24th at Zanies and Rosemont, the Nick D Podcast Live, showtime at 7.30. Andrea Darlis, the special guest. Me, Esmeralda Leon. Comedy, Halloween, horror candy, trivia, prizes. My dad telling jokes. Get your tickets right now. Rosemont.zanies.com. 847-813-0484. My dad will be there, but my dad is here now. Dad, joke, now, go. Guys, a very understanding wife. She lets me go out with the guys a couple nights a week, and then she goes out with the guys a couple nights a week. That's a lot of marriage jokes my dad tells. That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. He'll do it again uh, next Tuesday, and he will do it again on October 24th. Get your tickets now. Rosemont.zanies.com for the Nick D Podcast Live. My thanks to Herb Weissbaum and to Tom Appel for another unbelievably gratifying and informative For the People podcast. We'll do it again next month. Leave a voicemail with us anytime you want, 773-417-6948. Email us with anything you want to tell us about, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Want to be a sponsor? Hey, man, we got sponsors. We got a lot of people that listen to this podcast. You got something you want to advertise? This is a great place to do it. Seriously, it is. Contact us, sales at radiomisfits.com. I want to advertise on the Nick D Podcast. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sound and the weirdness. Ed does everything else. He's the man. We couldn't do it without him. Rate, review us on every platform. Listen to us next time when Amy Guth, the lovely, amazing Amy Guth from Crane's Business Chicago, uh, will be joining us. Uh, and uh, she's been on an adventure lately, making movies and doing all kinds of crazy stuff in L.A. We will get the latest from the spectacular Amy Guth. That's on the next show. Until then, thank you for being a part of this show, and we'll see you on the Nick D Podcast next time, right here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The wind is right on-